Thank you. Yes, I myself, oh, I need my Bible, was tired yesterday, slept good last night after the youth retreat. Thank you all for praying for the youth. I think we had a good time together. I think the kids were blessed with the messages that they heard. Uh, today we're going to continue our series in Acts. Uh, we'll be in chapter 9 is where we'll start, starting in verse uh, 32, I believe it is. But before we look at the text, I, I want to ask you a question. Uh, what would you do uh, if your neighbor started banging on your door? Some of you might grab something to protect your home. Others might answer the door and be willing to help. Right, I got a text from my neighbor and said, hey, I'm out of town. Uh, would you put my driveway while I'm so that my wife can get in and out? And of course I did. Some of you might be willing to go cut up a tree that fell or be helpful in whatever way uh, your neighbor might need help. Maybe you'd provide a stick of butter if they needed it. But what if... They bang on your door asking for you to share with them the gospel. What if God put on their heart to come to your door? I heard you're a Christian. I heard you go to that church on 107 called Cornerstone Church. I've never heard this gospel message. Would you share it with me. You share it with each other, I think. Would you share that gospel with me? I think we would all be shocked. I think we're shocked because it's hard for us. We're shocked because we don't believe that the gospel is entirely for other people. We like it for ourselves. But we don't naturally or convictionally want to share it with others. And so we have a long passage this morning, the longest narrative in all of the book of Acts. And they'll start in chapter 9, verse 32. And we're going to see how this story plays itself out in the life of Peter. If you want to pick it up in 9, verse 32, we'll see what happens to Peter in setting the stage for that knock on the door for him. Now as Peter went there, actually, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her and laid her up in an upper room, since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. 
All the windows stood beside him, widows, sorry, stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while he was with them. But Peter put them all aside and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And they stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a Tanner. You can have a seat. Father, we thank you for this word. God, we thank you for uh, what it will do in our lives. God, we ask that even for me this morning that you would speak to all of us. You would transform us by the hearing of your word, that you would give us soft hearts and, and eyes to see those around us who are in desperate need to hear your gospel. God, we pray that you would do a mighty work in our hearts so that we might be used by you to do a mighty work in the hearts of those around us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so after Saul's conversion that we saw last week, Peter comes back into the scene. He becomes, again, an example for the early church. And the center stage is going to shift the book of Acts away from the Jewish people and towards the nations. Peter becomes the model of ministry, the model of the ministry of his Savior. Did you catch on to what Peter was doing? He was doing what Jesus did in his own ministry. He was faithful to the call that the church has by going and serving the church, right? We like to do that. The call of a church, though, is to take the gospel message also to the ends of the earth, but it starts with the people of God. You see that as the gospel and the power of God impacts the church. We see that Aeneas is a saint in verse 32. We see that Tabitha is a disciple in 36. The story of Aeneas and Tabitha both mirror what Jesus' ministry gave himself to. We are familiar with stories of Jesus helping the paralyzed to walk or helping the crippled to get up off their mat. And with Jesus, it's signs and miracles that help to foster then the ministry of the word to go out into the world for people to believe. And you see in verse 36 that many folks turn to the Lord. You see in verse 42, others, they believed. The healing of the paralyzed is easy for us to remember in the Gospels. But Peter, even more particular, mimics a story in the ministry of Jesus from Mark 5. Let me read what happens. This little girl dies and Peter goes into the house and Jesus goes to her and he takes her by the hand and he says this, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the little girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years old and they were immediately overcame with amazement. Jesus says, Talitha, arise. Peter says, Tabitha, 
arise. Do you see the parallels? Luke wants us to remember Jesus' ministry is handed and passed off to the disciples to continue. And Jesus' ministry is to take the message of salvation, the gospel of repentance, to the ends of the earth. And so as Peter is modeling and submitting to his call to care for the church, Peter's also part of the church himself. And Peter and the church have a call to go to the ends of the earth. And this section that we see in Acts chapter 9 sets us up for what will happen in Acts chapter 10. Peter's a little slow to take his love for the church to turn it into a love for those outside of the people of God. So let's look at he as he steps out of his comfort zone in chapter 10. It says at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his help, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and stay to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. And he's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he said to them, or sent him them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that had been seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what he or what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. The next day he arose and he went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. 
But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand, or stand up, I, am, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for him at once, and you have been kind enough to come to me. Now therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Peter, what has God called you to do? We know from his story, he has been called to care for and lead and shepherd God's people. But Peter, you're also part of the church. What's the church been called to do? To bear witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And we see again in the book of Acts that the Spirit of God moves in God's people when God's people are not willing to move themselves. The Spirit uses the church to fulfill God's ministry, to call and bear witness to who Jesus is and what he has done from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Cornelius is a Roman. He's an Italian. He is an enemy of the Jewish people, a, a military figure that is leading and oppressing God's people. But Luke says that he's a God-fearer. He has some sort of affection for God. He's got an understanding of God like we saw last week with the Ethiopian eunuch. He's attracted to God and the life that's associated with God. And God sets this up perfectly. He doesn't get the enemy of God in the sense that he's antagonistic. He's got a guy from the nations who's open to God. Makes it easier for Peter, right? God calls Cornelius, though, to send for Peter. Unlike we just saw, Peter was very eager to go to those within the church of Dorcas, Tabitha, don't name your kids Dorcas, or to Aeneas. And unlike Peter, Cornelius doesn't even question God's commands. The Gentiles, friends, have always been part of God's plan of salvation and redemption for those who believe the gospel, and the church is called to bear witness of that fact. That's why the sermon is titled The Call of the Church. Sometimes the church, though, we get in our own way. We have our hesitations. We have our lack of understanding or an absence of motivation to go and proclaim who Jesus is and what he has done. So the who fully accepted the Jewish religion, God told him, go get the Christian to give you the message that I've told the Christian to give to you. Peter and the church were disobedient 
So God makes sure that it happens. It's like your neighbor banging on the door. Tell me the message that I hope and long for. In Acts 2, Peter was there when the Spirit descended upon the early church in Jerusalem when they believed. In Acts 10, Peter was there when the Spirit descended upon the Samaritans when they believed the gospel. Today, the Spirit will descend upon the Gentiles. After the signs and wonders, which is the same thing and the formula that God uses in chapter 2 and chapter 10, and guess who is there? All three of those times. Peter. God was direct with Cornelius through an angel. Then God gave Peter a vision. Peter wanted to argue. He's known for doing that with God. Yeah, but God, I, I, I can't do that. I can't eat that. The Gentiles, they ate unclean things, unclean food. And the Jews wanted to avoid any perception, any participation in that which is unclean. Think about Peter. He's in his mind. He's saying, that is just gross. The Gentiles are gross. I cannot associate. I cannot go to them. I cannot welcome them into the church because that would make the church unclean. And Peter was called three times. We saw in verse 16 to the same man who denied his Lord three times, to the same man who sat with Jesus on the side of a lake who was restored three times and was said by Jesus, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, love my people. God was patient and gracious with Peter three times. The one who didn't hesitate to go to Aeneas or Tabitha delayed to go to the Gentiles because they're yucky, they're unclean, they're different from us. And he doesn't understand. He is perplexed. But there's a knock at the door. Can you come with us, please? What? The Spirit calls Peter, go without hesitation. So he gets up and he goes to the door. And eventually he then goes to go to Cornelius. And when Peter meets Cornelius, Cornelius bows down to Peter, showing that Cornelius still worshipped idols thinking maybe that Peter was a godlike figure like Cornelius probably did to the Caesar himself. But Peter acknowledges that he is a weak and frail man, that you should never bow down to a man like me. There's certain things that Peter does understand, but there's others that Peter just has no clue about. Don't worry about me. But he doesn't respond with, well, you should worship the God of the Bible, who you were created to worship. Don't worship me, that's idolatry. Oh, and I have a story of someone who paid the price on the cross for your idolatry. No, he doesn't say. He says, why'd you send for me? In 29, this is the same question he asked in verse 21. This past Wednesday, as we saw the video, we, we talked about uh, and we watched some videos on, on what it means to be a Christian. Not about becoming a Christian, but about being a Christian. And we talked about how we need reminders of the gospel. We need to receive and constantly reflect on God's kindness and his patience and his love for us as the church to motivate us to live this Christian life. 
Peter needed that series, right? He needed guidance. He needed motivation. He was hesitant. He needed courage. So do we. So you can join us on Wednesdays. Cornelius tells him, again, we're all here. We're all here waiting for the message that the Lord said you would deliver to us, that the Lord said you were commanded to deliver to me. Peter's neighbor's there. God told me you had something to say to me. I think you've been called to speak something. But Peter, focused on himself, didn't heed the call of the church. The call of a church is to proclaim the gospel to the lost and dying world around us so that they might believe the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus so that those who are lost might be saved. When the lights turn on for Peter in verse 34, you can look with me. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, those things that we saw in that last section. For God was with him. And we are all witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The guy with the foot-shaped mouth finally gets the foot out and he opens his mouth to speak. He fulfills his call. He preaches of Jesus' perfect life. He preaches of Jesus' substitutionary death. He preaches Jesus' glorious resurrections. He preaches the means of salvation for those who believe it because God shows no partiality. All are able to hear and receive the gospel because the Lord is God of all, as we see in 34 and 36. God has no favorites between nations. He welcomes all, Jew and Gentile, into the family of God. And this is not nations like we would think about it as geopolitical entities. These are like nations of ethnic language or ethno-linguistic groups that speak different language, that have different cultures, like the 2,000 or so ethnic groups in India alone, many of which who still have not heard the gospel today. When God called the patriarch of the Jews, Abraham, God promised in Genesis 12 this. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, go from your country 
and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Peter, like the Jews for thousands of years, liked the fact that they were great. We're going to be blessed. We're going to have a great nation. But they forgot that they were made great so that others might acknowledge that God is great, to be a blessing to other nations, for those outside of the family of God. And Peter and the church failed to heed their call. Peter needed the gospel. So does every sinner in the world. Peter listened. He bore witness to all the nations, including a Gentile, and he fulfills his call, we see in verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through and like I said in Acts 2 and Acts 10, after signs and wonders to facilitate the ministry of the word and people believe the spirit descends upon sinners who believe the gospel. And this time it's the Gentiles. And we get to the final section of the book of Acts. Look what happens in verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Spirit, Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain for some days. So the Gentiles become part of the church. And the call of the church has always, in every generation, for us even today, to share the gospel. The Spirit gives new life to believers in the gospel. The Spirit is the powerful worker that we see again in spite of who man is and their hesitations and their limitations to bring the gospel message to whom God wants to hear it and give them new life in spite of man's unwillingness and in spite of our distractions, in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of our sin. The Spirit is the main character in the book of Acts. Sending, calling, and saving. And when we see the Spirit move, when we see people believe, everyone is amazed. Jews and Gentiles, and more signs are performed, and believers are baptized. They join the church, and Peter is finally committed to the mission he has been given to the nations. But this is one of the last times that Peter even arises. Paul will take the baton moving forward. Again, showing us it's not about us. It's not about Peter. It's about the Spirit of God moving. And we often forget that God's plan of salvation is for all people. We focus on our belief. 
as individuals. We forget the call to proclaim the gospel to the lost around us. The church loves to focus on our gifts and what we want to do. But the call of a church is to go, to proclaim. And as part of the church, that's call for you and for me. When sinners repent, we celebrate. Peter, as we see in chapter 11, he goes back to Jerusalem. He tells the disciples and the apostles what has taken place, and they begin to celebrate. They begin to give God the glory that he is due, recounting the events of chapter 10 to praise God for giving salvation to the lost and dying in the world. We won't read what takes place in Peter's recap, but I want you to focus your attention to chapter 11, verse 17 and 18. Peter says this, I, I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Peter, he bridges the gap between Jew and Gentile, setting the stage for Paul's ministry, moving forward to the ends of the earth, as Paul, we saw last week, was to be an apostle to the Gentiles, an apostle to the nations. And so, repentant Peter, he, explain, he exclaims, the Gentiles, God has granted repentance, knowing that he himself had to repent to take that gospel to the Gentiles. In the church, they didn't object. They worshiped God. Cornelius was radically transformed from his idolatry, his worship and allegiance to man, to a worship and allegiance to the one true God. And all sinners need that transformation. And it starts within the church. God has called the church to go. God has called the church to mission. And friends, we need to repent of our lack of heeding that call to go. Our lack of going on mission. Our lack of proclaiming the gospel to the world around us. And it's the church that exclaim. It's the church that worship. That repentance leads to life. Life that we have received already, right? that's available for all outside of the church to believe. It's God's kindness and his patience and his love that leads Gentiles and the church to repentance. Being, I'm sorry, Peter being the primary example, the leader within the church that needed to repent himself. I think in light of this story, in light of Peter's story, he sh shares something that is very important to the in the second letter that he wrote to a church. He says in 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God was patient with Peter. He could have just said, I got other disciples and apostles. I'll use somebody else. But he didn't. God is patient with the church. God is patient with Cornelius and the Gentiles. 
Friends, he is patient with you. Three times Peter denied his Lord. Three times Jesus restored him. Peter went without delay to Tabitha, the disciples, to within the church to do mighty miracles. But three times God had to call him, Peter, 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 go to Cornelius. And that same call that God had for Peter, he has for every person in this room as part of his church. I've denied Jesus more than three times myself. I've rebelled more than three times myself. I've disregarded and disobeyed God more than three times myself, and that was probably before eight o'clock this morning. And you have too. The modern message that we hear these days is God has a wonderful plan for your life, so go live it. But without belief in the gospel and repentance of sin, that plan is not wonderful. It leads to death. So look at me. You are the means of salvation through your mouth to the lost and dying world around us. You are God's messenger. You are his messenger of grace. You are his messenger of kindness. You are his messenger of love. You are the proclaimer of the gospel. It's not my job to reach everybody here, but all 70 of us or so, we can have a significant impact in the community in which we live if we heed the call of the church. Because God commanded Peter to preach, and he has commanded you as well, not just me. Not just Eric, not just anybody who comes up in here and preaches the gospel. And so let's start with our own repentance because any disobedience is sin. I think you can ask God to help you. He delights to respond to those requests. Father, compel me to preach the gospel. Compel me to believe this so much that this is so wonderful that I would be unloving to share it with somebody else. What if once a week this year, we've already got a head start, it's okay. What if once a week this year, you ask God, would you show me one person? Would you bring one person in my path? Would you incite a conversation with one person that I might share the gospel with this year? He loves to answer that prayer. Any person in your path is an opportunity to ask God to give you the boldness to share that gospel. If you overhear a conversation, you can chime in. It's okay. What do you have to lose? Your life? The life to come is much better. It's okay. If all 70 of us share the gospel once a week for a year, that's 3,500 gospel presentations. Imagine what God could do through that. Don't let the once a year scare you because once a week starts with this week. So just start this week. Maybe ask God. Not maybe. Ask God. Bring somebody in my path. Show someone that I can share the gospel with and give me the boldness to actually do it. And trust Him with the fruit. Trust Him that your faithfulness will lead to fruit 
and transform the community that we live, the relationships that you have. Peter failed, but God had grace on him. Peter's disobedience does not exclude or excuse his sin. The early church accepted this message as good, and God had God had a call on the church. God has a call on you and me to take the gospel to all nations, including the one that we live in. So like the early church, let's follow the early church's example. When they said, then to the Gentiles also, God granted repentance that leads to life. Then to Royalton, also God grants repentance that leads to life to all who believe. Then to Bethel, God grants repentance that leads to life for all who would believe. Fill in the blank with your town. God grants to Vermont, also, repentance that leads to life for those who believe the gospel. God grants to my family. Repentance that leads to life for those who believe the gospel. What name or place would God have you fill in? Then to what comes to mind. Write it down. God has granted repentance that leads to life for those who believe the gospel. God, help me take the gospel to them. Finally, church, we do this together. We're individually called, but we belong to a church. And we often focus on our gifts and our skills, our call, but also our distractions, our failures. We forget to remember the call of a church but we get to go together. We get to encourage one another. We get to say, it's okay. Let's now change and repent together and let's go to the nations. Let's go back to the story that I started with. What if your neighbor knocked on your door and begged with you to share the gospel? What if God told them to go to you, who goes to that church called Cornerstone, That church that shares the gospel with each other all the time. To share the gospel with them. Now what if we just went to them? What if we went to the places that we live, work, and play in the snow? And proclaim the gospel to the lost and dying world around us? What if we were just faithful to the call that God has on us as a church? What if every man, woman, and child in the area that we live had a repeated opportunity to respond to the gospel? Don't worry about other churches. Let's worry about ours. What if we were faithful? It would probably encourage a lot of the other churches around here to be faithful. And I think we would all see a mighty work of God transform the area that we live. And Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he said this in recording Jesus' words in Luke 15, 10. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We get to worship God, to hear 
because of his grace in transforming a sinner into a saint through the proclamation of the gospel through our mouths. Would you pray with me? Father, I think it's easy for us to look at guys like Peter or the rest of the apostles and just say, man, they did not. They were so foolish. They were so hard-headed. They were so disobedient. And we point the finger without reflecting on our own lives, our own call, our own lack of faith, our own posture towards disobedience, our own fear of failure or fear of rejection. God, I pray that you would change that in us. God, that you would give us such great passion for your name to be proclaimed in all the world that we would go boldly in a humble posture, knowing that we have been forgiven much to proclaim who you are and what you've done to each other, but also to the world around us. God, would you help us to believe the words of the Apostle Paul when he said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all who would believe, the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the power of God, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. God, would you give us faith to believe that? Would you give us faith to respond in light of that? God, would you use our church, would you use us for the sake of your name to be proclaimed that we would all rejoice as folks come to repentance and belief in your name for your sake and our joy, but most importantly, their joy that leads to your glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.